1: Hey guys, with sports betting season in full force with football here, you need a sports book with integrity and longevity like BetUS. You may already know this but BetUS has been pioneers in the sports book industry for almost three decades, thriving and paying their loyal customer base. That is BETUS.com and they have loads of bonuses. Join now or call 1-800-69-BETUS That is my you receive 125% sign up bonus by using bonus code SST125. That's SST-125. They have re-up and referral bonuses. Also, BetUS is known among America's favorite book for lots of reasons. Bet on team and player props, loads of NFL futures, UFC matches, PGA golf, live betting on most sports. The online casino has hundreds of games. The racebooks has all the horse tracks. They have every bet type imaginable. Follow my lead and get your phone online and sports betting partner with integrity and longevity like I did. BetUS. You bet. You win. You get paid. Bet. U.S.
0: In the South, it's always cottage football season. And the king of college football reigns supreme all year long. Southern Sports Today proudly presents The Chuck Oliver Show. It's an inside look at everything college football. Now live from Atlanta, Georgia, it's time to talk college football with the reigning king of college football, Chuck Oliver, on Southern Sports
3: Today. Four percent? Ain't a lot to figure out. And I'm stumped. It is the Chuck Oliver Show on a Monday, and... According to the latest percentages to make the college football playoffs, FPI, I believe it's called, from ESPN, and that's just one ranking, Georgia is a 96% likelihood to reach the playoffs at this point, which means there's a 4% chance that Georgia does not reach the playoffs. If you have continued to watch the list of undefeateds whittle down, Dan, do you know who the undefeateds remaining are? Is it Georgia and Cincinnati and UTSA? UT beep beep UT San Antonio Roadrunners. So we got three because last week it was Wake Forest and Michigan State. Uh, Oklahoma takes the pipe this weekend, and so it just that's just what it is. So in a season where the list of undefeateds is is uh, it's just one after another, and you start talking about how you're going to fill a playoff field. And it's not like we've got a, a just a roster full of great candidates, and it keeps getting whittled away with even fewer every week. How is Georgia, and I'm going to say this, only a 96% pick? Dan, quick quiz. don't look. I'm putting Dan on the spot, folks. I didn't tell him any of this. Do you know who Georgia's final two remaining opponents are, Dan? Oh, easily. Charleston Southern and Georgia Tech. Charleston Southern and Georgia Tech. Outstanding. I don't believe that the 4% chance the Bulldogs get left out of the playoffs, I don't think that comes from the Charleston Southern game. I don't believe that comes from the Georgia Tech game. Well, that means the dogs roll into it. Oh, by the way, they won on Saturday. And it was an entertaining enough ball game. 41-17 to was the final. Uh, up there, at Rocky Top, it was Brad, it was Danielson. It was uh, just – it was a fun environment. And the Tennessee fans got a little so – I said that they had another event. They did. They had a lead on Georgia. And they won the first four minutes. When I say they won, b- folks, the plays worked. And actually, the pl- I used to – like Rich Rodriguez, when he was at Michigan, I said that, like, the plays worked. It's just he was running with Nick Sheridan or Tate Forcier, or, or whoever it was. Those plays didn't work. They worked with Pat White. Josh Heupel, folks, the plays work with those guys. The plays work against Georgia, the plays, the first 15 plays, all right? The scripted plays. When does the Thanksgiving table look the best before you really dive into it? So, his best plays that hypo could script to start the game, brother, he hit. And then Kirby's like, all right, we got that figured out. So, they scored seven points in the first, what, three minutes? Effectively scored three points in the next, you know, 57, essentially. They had Milton firing away. They got another. So, it's 41-17 was the final. So, Georgia will roll into, if we agree that the 4% chance Georgia doesn't make the playoffs, if we agree that that does not involve the Charleston Southern Buccaneers or the Georgia Tech Yellow Jackets, then that means that 4% must be 100% December 4th SEC Championship game, Mercedes-Benz Stadium, Atlanta, Georgia. Okay, how does a loss that day, or actually, how does that day – Equal a 4% chance? How could that happen? Well, there's a greater chance than 4% that Georgia worked in. Just for the purpose of this conversation, I'm going to say Alabama. Texas A&M. All credit to the Rebels. All credit to Ole Miss. You did miss an opportunity there. All credit to Ole Miss. But let's just say Georgia's playing Alabama that day. Well, a loss, that's more than just a 4% chance. And so that means that a loss does not equate to in and of itself just a loss, quote, since there's a greater than 4% chance they could lose, but there's, quote, only a 4% chance of being left out of the playoffs. That means that just a loss on its own, it's not enough. Has to be a blowout. Has to be a, 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 a woodshed. It has to be there is a phrase that if we are using that phrase Saturday night there is one phrase that we have used before to justify specifically leaving teams out of playoff there's a phrase we have used before that will explain that 4%. A playoff team doesn't have a fill in the blank loss on its schedule. It's not just a loss, it's Bama 44 to 10. And you know what we're all saying on, I don't know, Twitter or to each other or you're driving back to Bessemer or whatever. Do you know what everybody's saying? I don't know, man. Playoff team. They don't have a 40. Playoff team doesn't lose 44 to 10. A playoff team doesn't have a 44 to 10 loss on the playoff team can have a loss on its schedule. In fact, I dare say there will be at least two, at least two playoff teams with a loss this year. Playoff teams lost every year. How about a 44-10 loss? How about a you got dropped into a wood chipper loss? How about you look like you didn't practice loss? How about the kind of loss where we all collectively, even Georgia fans, sit back and go, playoff team doesn't lose 44-10. to 10. Now, do I believe that's going to happen? No. In fact, I would say I'm about, yeah, okay, Vegas or FPI or Bristol, Connecticut, wherever it comes from. I would say I'm about 96% certain Georgia won't lose 44 to 10. Hey, Chuck, put a percentage on it because Bryce, y'all see Bryce young the other day. Let me ask a better question. Yeah. I watched him a little. Did you see either of Bryce's incompletions, either of them? I think he was 21 to 23. Y'all know what a snap drill is. Do you know what a snap drill is? Snap drill is at the end of practice. For the coach says, all right, make sure you turn in your laundry and do this and pick up that. All right, everybody, we'll see you tomorrow. And just as he's saying tomorrow, the quarterback yells before everybody starts cheering, receiver, see me in the end zone. And you just kind of throw a little bit. You're having a snap, you just pop. And he snaps the ball to himself. That, it was a snap drill on Saturday. So, I don't know. Can Bama put 44 on somebody? Easily. Can they put them on that somebody? I don't know. Is there a 4% chance? Yeah, that's where the 4% chance comes. Because it's not just a loss. That won't do it. We have to all be using that phrase that we have all used before playoff team? Mm, Playoff team doesn't lose like that.
0: Now more college football talk with the king of college football. It's the Chuck Oliver Show on Southern Sports
2: Today. I have to find a way to tap into these guys to get them to understand what it takes to win. And the formula sounds simple, uh, but clearly at this point, um, we're, not, we're not getting the formula correct. Um, and that's the work that we have to do. Steve
3: Sarkeesian, Texas head coach. After the Longhorns lose to Kansas. I'm going to let the music finish out, and then I'm going to repeat that against complete silence. Okay, thank you, Weekend. Um, Texas lost to Kansas. Oh, in football. Texas lost to Kansas in football. Do you know what I normally will say at that point? What, What I will include? Texas lost at home. It doesn't matter. It could have been at Kansas. Like, earlier this year, I didn't have to say, you know, Florida State, they lost at home to Jacksonville. Did did it matter? Did it make it worse? Kind of made it worse. Only, but not because from a, like, competitive advantage, it's even worse because you had home field. It's because you did it in front of all those, There were a bunch of angry-looking people at the end of that ballgame where that big kind of blockish, there weren't a lot of angles on him the guy who caught the final two points and he just he looked like just a guy out there and he caught two of two point conversion and Kansas 57 Texas 56 in overtime and don't think this was there was a, like an old Miss Arkansas game i want to say my gosh almost 20 years ago it was a night game went into overtime 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 and you know it would end it was like you know, 23-23, and then it got into the 70s. That's not what this was. This was a horribly played game, defensively in particular. And so Texas loses, and Texas falls to 4-6 and six overall, and Texas has lost five straight games. And if we can somehow airlift our reality back to the end of the first quarter in Dallas, I was thinking about Texas in the realm of making not playoff, playoff run. My gosh, is this what the offense looks like? And then the next three quarters happened. And then the next four games and Texas four and six. And Steve Sarkeesian can coach. So can Tom Herman, by the way. Tom Herman, who in four seasons at Texas. Now, I want to tell you, there is there is a different bar that is set in a slightly different height Truly, at every program in America, like Alabama, the bar is only set for a national championship. And even Clemson, it's like, well, oh, a little bit below that. Tiny. I'm so, so it's a little bit different, a little bit thickness of the bar, or whatever. So I know what they want the goals to be at Texas. Here was Tom Herman. This is not me spiking the football. This is not I'm, I'm no victory lap here. I'm just giving you some numbers here. Texas, uh, under Tom Herman, four seasons four winning records, four bowl games. Dan, off the top of your head, do you know what their record in those four games were in the bowls? I think they were undefeated, four right? Four and oh. Dan. Yes, four and oh. Not good enough. You're fired. Okay. And again, I am not simply – because I Steve Sarkeesian, you, you made a mistake when you fired Tom Herman. You did not make another mistake when you hired – Steve Sarkeesian. there are programs that make double mistakes all the time. All the time. It was a mistake firing that guy, a mistake hiring the new one. That's not what this is. I'm saying that I'll credit the folks in Austin. You found a couple of right answers here. The issue is you only need one when it comes to a college. You only need a couple of right answers. You need one. And so... I only am talking about this because, again, Texas has reached historical depths, as in, like if you're a Vanderbilt fan, you're going to Texas, hold my beer. Or, Paul, a five-game losing streak. That's so precious. Texas, if I saw the number, Texas has not lost five straight games since 1956, I think. I think that's the number. Kansas, meanwhile, had not won a road conference game since 2008. Folks, they get to play several of them every single season. Did not win a single conference game on the road 13 years. Beat Sark and the Longhorns in Austin Saturday. 56 straight road conference losses. Do you know who was second entering Saturday? Do y'all know? Vanderbilt 11 it wasn't just a little bit folks it was a lot that's who Texas lost to at home so I'll throw it in for the historical perspective and this is not even like routinely I would look at Dan and like on a Monday over the past couple of years because again I'm not a fan of you I don't root again you I just kind of observe. And I, the fan base out there, I, hey, Dan, Texas sitting back. And Dan would go, no, they're not. That would be after they lose to Iowa State or Oklahoma again or TCU or whomever. That that would be after they lose to those. Uh, Dan, they're not back. And it's like, no, no, Texas is not. Now, h- here, I hope that since Texas is only nine games into Steve, Sar- I guess 10 games in to Steve Sarkeesian's tenure, You're not talking about a buyout on, I don't know, a six- or seven-year contract. But do you realize the only reason you're not talking about a buyout is because you basically are forbidden from talking about a buyout only 10 games into a multi-multi-multi-year contract? Otherwise, you would be. And I promise you there were some folks Saturday night who had the, I will quote a conversation I wasn't within 500 miles of. I know it's year one, but I guarantee you, rich old dude, not the front porch, back porch. Brown liquor, staring at pasture. I know it's just year one, but... And then he starts thinking, like, we can raise this money. You're still paying Charlie Strong. Dan, how are you? Do I over, Am I overstating no. any
2: of that? No, I mean, it even goes even further back, Chuck, where... Eight and five, nine and four, eight and five, and it was Mac. This is not it, buddy. We can't have this anymore. I mean, you snapped our bowl streak in two thousand ten. Oh, Texas. Yeah, absolutely. And we need to get back to that. And really, for the most part, they have not sniffed that ever since he God, left. God bless you for having goals. Twenty eighteen was basically the only one, and they had four losses that year when they beat Georgia in the mighty sugar bowl. And now, of course, we know how the story ended after that. You know, it's kind of in the same vein right there, you're talking about of programs where for me It's a, I'm a huge fan of, like I've said, the coach who told me this years ago take inventory. That is not what the Washington Huskies did when they gave the job to Jimmy Uh Lake. Now, I think that it probably was one of those things. Hey, it's hand in glove. He is going to basically do everything that Chris Peterson has done here. But I think for Washington, the inventory that you take is how good your program was and is. Washington has a history of success. They have a winning tradition there, and they are a good enough program where you could have probably gone to somebody out there that was at a, I don't know, let's just say Jay Norvell at Nevada or somewhere like that and said, hey, why don't you continue what you're doing in this part of the country up in Seattle with us with the Adidas money and the history that we have. And we already have a good enough program that puts players into the NFL. I think that was a failing on their part right there because I think, again, Chuck, it's one of those things. There's never any original ideas. They probably looked at Jimmy Lake and said, the hot coordinator, the guy that we're going to lose if we don't make him the guy. Uh, And we've seen it work out at Oklahoma. We've seen it work out at other places. In this case right here, you clearly had a guy who was in over his head. And if you didn't know that before, then you probably were in a bad place going in.
3: Yeah, he hired his buddy, Donahue, um, uh, John Donahue, been fired at Penn State for his lack of offensive creativity. Hired him and said, hey, you run the offense and predictable results. And so he's been fired. Um, that is a great program, and I don't. I'm not overstating that. that a great program. You win a lot there. And in fact, I say, oh, you know, shoot beyond that. You know, a uh, 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 head coach um, like Norvell. I mean, go higher than all of your watching. Go knocking on doors. Get told no, but knock on those sort of doors where that may happen. Absolutely.
0: Now back to Southern Sports Today and the Chuck Oliver
3: Show. All week, all year, it's all college football on the Chuck Oliver Show. Nine states, 55 sticks. So I appreciate everybody putting that blessing in my life for certain. Uh, Mississippi State got it done in a big way over the weekend, and as Mike Leach said post game, he said it would have been really easy to get intimidated to kind of fold tent after being down twenty eight to three, and that didn't happen. Um, if you want me to break down specifically, if you either were watching until the point it was twenty eight to three and was like, "Okay, this is decided," or you were never watching at all, uh, essentially what happened is Will, Will Rogers stopped throwing incomplete passes. There you go. And Bo Nix got uh, nicked a little bit, got hit a little bit, and uh, got gimpy. And Mississippi State is salty on defense anyway. And so 43-34, a huge comeback on the road against a quality opponent in the Southeastern Conference. And as the saying goes, that's not nothing. want to welcome on a good friend of mine who uh, you can hear doing color on the official Mississippi State radio broadcast, (laughs) among other duties. It is Matt Wyatt. Matthew, how are you today, brother?
4: Hey Chuck, doing well, man. Happy Monday to you. What's up?
3: Uh, talk to me about being down twenty-eight to three. Because honestly, I, and, and this is this Mississippi State, I could say this about a lot of teams: depth of character, maturity. It's not what I was, you know, known for as an eighteen or nineteen-year-old. When you're down twenty-eight <laughs> to three, even on the road, it's kind of easy to say, you know, what? Maybe next Saturday. Why didn't that happen?
4: Yeah, I, you know, we're we're still looking for that 10-point reason, um, and Coach Leach, as you said, we're kind of asked about it after the game, and, you know, one of his theories was, you know, well, we're young, and sometimes young guys, when you come out of the gates, you're trying to play not to screw up, right, because it's 0-0, zero, zero, or we just started, And then sometimes you get down 28-3, to those same guys are like, ah, what the heck, I got nothing to lose, and they start cutting loose (laughs) and playing the way you really want them to play all the time, right? And you learn that. And maybe that factors in uh, a little bit on the road. But I'll tell you, uh, Chuck, I I don't think it's overstating it. And and in our business, you know, we try our best not to overstate things. But I really don't know that I've ever seen a game do an about-face like that from a physicality standpoint um you know the scoreboards one thing we've seen teams get hot and score points you know you're running the air raid you're going to get hot at times and reel off several touchdown drives in a row it's what it does but listen i mean in that 28 to 3 run for Auburn, um in the first oh 25 minutes of the game they dominated the first 25 minutes Absolutely. of the game in the in the trenches you saw it i mean their offensive it wasn't a fluke. It was State was just absolutely getting dominated at the line of scrimmage in the first twenty five minutes, and when uh, State went on that first touchdown drive, from that point on, it switched, and Mississippi State dominated Auburn for the next thirty five minutes. I don't know that I've ever seen a game switch and turn and do a one eighty. On the line of scrimmage like that. I don't know what you chalk it up to, honestly. Especially if you're looking at it from Auburn's standpoint. I know they're probably looking for answers today.
3: Yeah, and there was a Nathan Pickering uh, sighting. He got a sack. And I was like, okay, I wonder if this is going to, you know, because you never know how everything, you know, uh, kind of folds into, especially in football. There is no other sport where it's impossible to say, well, if this one thing would have changed in the first or second, literally one thing in the first or second quarter, you have no idea how the rest of the game unfolds. We continue with Matt Wyatt. Get him on Twitter at Radio. Wyatt talking Mississippi State um, there have been more I will say technically there have been more run plays called over the past couple of weeks um, I I always say there's a run element anyway but it's kind of just run forward um, and, and you know I talked about a month ago we were talking X's and O's and that basically this is a wishbone offense beyond the line of scrimmage um, but they've actually been handing the ball off the past couple of weeks.
4: Yeah, and they're checking to it at the line of scrimmage, um, and that's a huge part of it. I I don't know what the percentage is, but I would bet, Chuck, that the coaches might tell you, hey, somewhere in the neighborhood of 80, 85% of the time we run the ball, Will Rogers is actually checking it, calling it at the line of scrimmage. They have that built into their system. It's one little call, one little check, and we're going to run it instead of, you know what? What we're, And, and he, all he's doing is looking for what they call a run box, right?
3: Oh, yeah, yeah, so you yeah.
4: So you, you think about it. Everybody they play, everybody State plays because of the way they throw it and the way they line up is trying to figure out a way to put as many people in coverage as they can and rush three. Because State keeps hurting people. Anytime they bring more than three, he, they hurt you. So they're rushing three. So what teams are doing are getting soft. They get soft. You line up on this particular play, and now we got a run box, and that is three defensive linemen, and maybe two linebackers. Next, that's five guys. A light box, a run box, a light box. We'll just check and run it. And and so, anytime he sees that certain down and distance, you're going to take that run box. If you make four yards, you high five because that's all you want out of it. If you get more, it's icing on the cake. And that's why they're getting a few more runs is because the quarterback is taking that responsibility when the defense gives it to him.
3: Let's talk perimeter because if you ask somebody, and I mean like somebody who like follows – sec west football even maybe not a state fan but you know tell me about the bulldog receivers they was like uh well there's that big guy who blocks and that'd be austin williams um yeah. there'd be there'd be that guy at the end of the bowl game and that would be malik heath and then there, oh yeah whaley because everybody knows him and i was like well you said it wrong but that's fine um talk about how this group has sort of fleshed itself out and i didn't even know name maybe the best guy in the group uh makai Paul.
4: Yeah, yeah, you're right. Um, and see, and that's the thing about it, too. They throw it to so many different guys. Over the last three weeks, Chuck, we've seen a game where they went and threw it to 13 different players, uh, 11, 12. Last week at all, or this past week at Auburn, 10 different guys catch passes. So everybody's touching a football you can't defend, just one, right? That's another thing that's kind of difficult defensively on this is they're really spreading it around. And yeah, so it's complimentary. Mackay Polk is probably, uh, he's, he you wouldn't call him the most explosive in the SEC. You might give that to Burks, certainly at Arkansas, but he's been banged up. But look, Mackay uh, Polk is, he's a stud. Mackay Polk is the most consistent. He's the most consistent outside pass catcher you have in the league no he's, he doesn't have the speed of number one at Alabama to transfer from Ohio State he's not as big as but what I'm saying is in terms of route running doing his job and if the ball is anywhere in the radius he catches the football he's the most consistent and transferred in from Cal and the thing is he's got two more years to play after this one so they are really excited about Makai Polk for sure.
3: All right, let's talk a little uh, – let's just quick glance down the road because you and I don't coach or play, so we can look ahead. Uh, Tennessee State, yeah. that's going to be a, a nice event for the home crowd this Saturday. It really should be. Uh, and yeah. then it is Thursday night, Egg Bowl. Um, yeah. Are the fans excited? Because I will say as recently as even like two, three weeks ago, um, like coming even coming off the Vandy game, um, the fan base was like, I thought it'd be more, I thought it'd be more exciting. Yeah. Even when we won, I thought it'd be more explosive. Uh, where are they now ahead of the egg bowl?
4: Yeah, they're all excited again. <laughs> awesome. and, uh, you, you know, that's just kind of the way it gets every year at Thanksgiving. And I'll tell you this, Chuck, I, I think in reality, it, it's not just saying that state fans are excited and, and, and fully bought in and a game like that one at Auburn makes that happen. You know, the um, state's going to go three and two in road games. They got two road wins over top 15, top 20 teams in A&M and Auburn this year. So they're good and excited now. And here's the other thing about it. You know, here's another stat for you that somewhere in the neighborhood of, I think it's like 31 or 32 of the 38 touchdowns you scored this year have been scored by freshmen and sophomores. Wow. You looked at it's. That's another thing. I don't think I've ever seen anything like it. So they're excited about the future, and you know, there's a there's a good vibe in this state. I'll be honest with you. Um, People on even on this Mississippi State side of the rivalry, they like Lane Kiffin. (laughs) We, you know, I, for instance, you know, I'm a state guy. I got a lot of respect for Matt Corral. Tough as nails. Could have transferred. Most people said he should have transferred, but he didn't. And now look at him and playing while he's hurt. You know, you look at their defense. Look at Ole Miss's defense. There's a lot of admiration for them. Like everybody told them how bad they were, and and look at what they did to A and M the other night. So there's a little respect, I think, being tossed around on both sides of the rivalry. And people realizing you have good coaches, you got good quarterbacks. You're going to have a lot of eyes on you on Thanksgiving night. And I think people. After what state and Ole Miss both went through in the Matt Luke and the Joe Moorhead years, state people and Ole Miss people are really looking forward to that on Thanksgiving night.
3: Well, Matt, I appreciate the insight as always, man. Thank you so much. Yeah, pleasure. Thanks. All right, Matt Wyatt, uh, again, doing color analysis on those uh, official radio broadcasts and also hosting daily radio uh, out yonder in Jackson as well. So it's Tennessee State Tigers, I believe, on Saturday And um, I can't swear to you that's the homecoming, but it would make sense if it were. Um, I'm going to engage in a pointless exercise. And Nick Saban has used the word clutter pretty consistently. That's his word. I ain't got time for clutter. Or he will label that's clutter. And everybody knows where I will get it out. Um, I've always been of that mindset. I never said as succinctly as that. And I hate wasting time, but I'm about to do something that is absolutely pointless and there is almost no value to it. Um, and there certainly wouldn't be. And I, you know, again, I, I, I talk about this sometimes if, if Mike Leach were going to do this or Mackay Polk or Austin Williams or somebody, there would be an issue, but I will to take about 30 seconds and do this month ago, hosted Alabama, and it was not a competitive thing. 49 to nine just didn't happen that day. There are three other losses on the schedule. 31-29, to that was week three at Memphis. Started season 2-0, and lose 31-29. to The scoreboard said 31-29 at the end, so that's what it was. There was context there. And you always have to overcome, and officiating is never – it's always a factor in a negative way because it's never perfect, so that means it's never a factor. That means it's not really a variable. It was really not a variable that day. Like, it was strongly – Not a variable that day. It was terrible. Uh, 28-25, they lose the next week at home versus LSU. For whatever reasons, LSU's supremely talented roster, and it came through that day, and Mississippi State didn't get it done. There is the game against Bama that we referenced, and then two weeks ago, they lose in Fayetteville two Saturdays ago with Field Goal Fest. Miss, miss. Send the other guy out there. He misses as well. Now, I'm talking about three games that were – Therefore, I mean, low-hanging fruit. In fact, low-hanging fruit probably on the floor beside you. All you had to do was reach down, and pick it up. And again, officiating is never an excuse. You got to overcome, especially on that punt play in the Liberty Bowl. That's a tough one. But you lost. The reason I say that this is worth pointing out to say how close a team like Kentucky, for instance, has been to having a really, really strong season. It very easily could be Mississippi State that we're talking about in the scenario of, hey, if Auburn is in. Bill Nix is he going to play, Dan? Is he hurt? Is he out? I mean, think- I don't know if he's going to play. Nix is done for the year. Okay, that's. I didn't know if they had a- had said that. All right, um, there is a scenario where now it's Ole Miss, right? That if let's see, Auburn beats Bama, and so what. <laughs> If it was just the loss to Alabama, it would be Mississippi State, the math we're talking about. It would be Mississippi State that we looked at and said, well, hey, they only have one loss, and if Auburn can hang a second one on the tide. there's was a big win by Ole Miss the other night. Um, it would be Mississippi State in position right now. Potentially, with a win over Tennessee State and Ole Miss, do you see that the Bulldogs finish 11-1? and And if Auburn can rise up, it would be the Bulldogs we're talking about. Now, this is why I always say that is a waste of time because Mississippi State easily could have lost the opener to Louisiana Tech. Could have lost at Texas A&M, no issues. Could have lost to Kentucky. Could have lost to Auburn. That's why when I say, if you take away this one player, this one injury, we all always only take it away from one side. If you take away this injury, if you take away this suspension, if you take away that fumble, only from the same one team, then yes, I can cherry pick. It's like Dan Mullen said, change some plays, we're undefeated. Well, let me change two more and you ain't got a single dub. You are what you are. But you do see the opportunities to have a really really special season other than tuscaloosa or excuse me other than guess alabama um versus what it's looking like right now but you know what ain't so bad what ain't so bad is eight and four and you won the egg bowl that's not nothing for state fans
0: always college football time in the south now back to more of the king of college football chuck oliver on southern sports today
3: i have told y'all how much of a fan of bronco mendenhall i am haven't i i don't say this as a as a criticism just a bottom line assessment dull as dirt water. Um, If you're looking for a lot of exclamation points and chest out and, oh, hey, get that Bronco Mendenhall cut. I don't know. Dan, you've been around Coach Mendenhall. Do you want to disagree? I uh, vehemently disagree with you because it's
2: not so much that he outwardly motivates you. It's just the force of his words that he has. I mean, he had me with simple successes when he sat down talking about just enjoy the small successes that you have in order to be able to get to the larger one. And I said, Coach, I'm in.
3: I I think there's some marker to him. Like you could lay a hot poker across his forehead. Broncos like mm if you get around to it, could you remove that? Uh, he's just a very even keeled guy.
2: Well it's not only that,
3: I mean he basically
2: saved Kyle Van Oy's life. Because Kyle Vannoy was going down the wrong path in oh, life. Yeah. He heard Bronco Mendenhall talk, and he said, that guy can save me.
3: Yeah, he's, uh, like I said, he's just a very, he is the the biggest of big picture and down the road, and let's build something brick by brick. He made a business decision on Saturday. Do you all know what it was? Now, I don't know if Brennan Armstrong, I think Brennan Armstrong, Virginia quarterback, I think he's leading the nation in passing yards per game, maybe, 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 or maybe power five. Having a great season. And he's got an injury. Might be ribs. And I'm trying to, again, I'm just, my brain here just cycling through all this. But um, all last week, all Bronco said was game time decision. And then he didn't play against Notre Dame. You know that that was not a conference game. Notre Dame sort of is a quasi ACC. What do you got there? Am I right, ribs?
2: Oh, well, not that, but, I mean, he's second in the nation behind uh, Zapp, Bailey Zapp, the
3: uh, quarterback. Zappy. At, okay, uh, yeah. he had a Western. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. out of Western Kentucky. That's yeah. right, boy. He lit it up the other day. It's not the first time we had a leading, passing, leading passer. In that's WKU. true. Yeah, Mike White over there. And back we in the also Brandon Dowdy. So That's true. Um, so, yeah, Zappy and uh, the Hilltoppers laid it on Rice the other day. Um, you proud of yourself? Taking it out on those poor kids from Houston. Uh, Brendan Armstrong gets second in America. And it was ribs, I believe, and it was game time, game time. Not even day-to-day, game time, game time, game time. I take Bronco Mendenhall at his words. I'm going to give you Chuck's opinion. Bennett's decision. Because Notre Dame is not a conference game. Pitt is a conference game. And this coming Saturday, 3.30, Heinz Field in Pittsburgh, I will say that to a large degree, if Pitt wins that game, it's salted away. Pitt will represent the coastal division. Uh, Hold your comments. If Virginia wins, and they could, if Virginia wins, Virginia driver's seat. They have a home game against the Gobblers to wrap up the season. And Virginia Tech, if you can tell me about that ball club and what to expect, I'm all ears. But I know that Virginia would be trending in a better way with a lot more on the line than just playing spoiler. That can be a powerful motivator. But because it's not a conference game, Brendan Armstrong didn't play. Now, I'm saying because I'm saying because it was a conference game, if there was more of a risk, because it was a if it were a conference game, all right, well, maybe. I don't know the extent of the injury, and I don't know if he would have – if it would have been against Pitt two days ago and not coming up this weekend, I can't tell you if Brennan Armstrong would have played or not. I think he would have. That's essentially a play-in game to the conference championship. And Virginia has never played – am I right about that? I'm not – Virginia hadn't played in the ACC title game. They were real close. They had a Thursday night game in 2011. I'm trying to remember – I think they were playing Miami, and this is end of October maybe, and like Virginia was such a hot team that I think if they beat Miami on that Thursday night, Mike London. It was a Kevin Parks. Tough, tough, tough running back. Um, If they beat Miami on that Thursday night, London and the Wahoos are going to represent the Coastal, and that didn't happen. And then he got fired, and you move on. But if Virginia wins, Virginia's able to – so that's a business decision. If you are looking at the Atlantic and you think, wait a minute, there's a mistake. Wake Forest is listed in first place at 6-0. and I watched them lose to North Carolina two Saturdays ago. Y'all know that was a non-conference game, right? Wake Forest and North Carolina both had open day. This happened several years ago. They've done this before. ACC requirement, plus it helps your strength of schedule if you care about that, plus the bottom line revenue, the ability for your fans to, quote, travel. Several years ago, this happened the first time. I think it was Wake in North Carolina. Hey, we both only have 11 games scheduled. We both have an opening for a non-conference game. We aren't playing each other on the, quote, regular schedule. You want to play a non-conference game against each other? If you're in Winston-Salem, you can travel to Chapel Hill, Chapel Hill. It works out for everybody. I got a buddy of mine, say uh, Wake Forest grad, and he sent me a picture from the game the other day. They had, He said, 34,000. I was like, it's like a college football game, only smaller. He was proud, and he should be. I don't know. They got like 6,000 kids there. But Wake Forest is undefeated because the North Carolina loss was not a conference loss, and they came back and beat NC State. Win at Clemson or at BC. I don't know if it's a ratings grabber, but ACC championship could be Pitt and Wake Forest.
2: Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring.
4: Laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire. Huh?